Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 54 of the Morning Round Trip podcast here on the 2nd of September. My name is Drew Frank, joined once again by my co-host Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning. And with no trades, no movement, no player transactions to reports, our top story falls back, unfortunately, to a COVID-19 update. Now, first off, I do have to correct myself from misinterpreting yesterday's news. There is still just one positive case in Oakland, not two, which is good, of course. Uh, positive sign. They do show some signs of worry. And an interesting article I was reading compared this to the Cardinals situation where the Cardinals had, I believe it was four players in the first couple days, and then there was a next wave where there was about five more. And when those reports came out, they expected those cases because of contact tracing. Here they see something similar, where they still have just one positive test, but their tracing suggests there might be more. So Oakland won't play until Friday at the absolute earliest to allow time for that testing, that tracing. And of course, if you can just miss a week like the Reds did and come away with no more positive tests, then that's the right route. So hopefully Oakland can pull off something similar here, but it seems like they're on the right track. You mentioned that Cincinnati Reds situation, Trevor Bauer in his uh, vlogs on his YouTube channel actually alluded to the fact that the Reds were set to play uh, in one of those games uh, before a doubleheader was scheduled against the Kansas City Royals. Um, But because of pressure from the team and, you know, insistence of the players, they were given an extra day to sort of like warm up and get themselves back into the groove of playing baseball after a long layoff. So uh, obviously we don't know what's happening internally, but postponing these Oakland Athletics games that are to be played, I think makes sense. And another piece of unfortunate news, an injury update yesterday in a 12-1 thwarting of the Milwaukee Brewers. The Detroit Tigers move up in the standings to just a half game back of a playoff spot, but unfortunately along the way they lose Jacoby Jones to a fractured hand. He got hit by a pitch from reliever Phil Bickford in Bickford's Major League debut, and Jacoby Jones, he'd been in the top 40 in American League F-War and even in the top 10 earlier on in the season after a very hot start. And Detroit, game and a half back in Minnesota, just a half game back of Toronto. Kind of tough for a team that they do have other bats, and guys like Victor Reyes have been stepping up, especially of late, but they kind of need all the guys that they've got. Yeah, and if you're a Detroit Tigers team that doesn't have the offensive firepower that it had a couple of years ago, Jacoby Jones is a guy that you've been leaning on pretty heavily so far in the season. And if you lose him, I mean, I don't think you had any aspirations to come away with the AL Central, but you were certainly making things interesting. Aaron Nola last night, one of the best starts of his career, and he has looked good in a whole bunch of different outings. Last night, he and the Phillies beat Washington 6 to nothing. I'm not sure if I'm more impressed by the eight shutout innings from Nola or the one shutout inning from the Phillies' pen. But either way, they come away with this, and nothing really doing from the Washington bats here. I, I don't know at what point you start to get worried because Keyboom wasn't what you were hoping for. Rendon has proven, of course, to be a huge loss for this team. 
you look past their first two guys, you've got Turner and you've got Soto, number one and number two respectively, atop the MLB batting leaders. Turner's hitting 368, which is much better than you expected. Soto's hitting 355, but beyond them, there's been really nobody up there. Your next best batter in B-War is Young Gomes at half a win, but they just don't have the same lineup depth to really stay in this hunt. That's You're getting production from less than a quarter of your lineup, if those are the two guys that you're relying on. Now, they are very good players, and, and they've been tremendous so far this season. We've talked about Juan Soto making himself a runner in the MVP for the National League. And Trey Turner, I think, has been just one of the most consistent hitters as of late. But you you can't rely on two guys. And I mean, I don't care how good Aaron Nola is. I think this just compounds the problem for the Washington Nationals because he exposed a lot of holes in this Washington Nationals lineup. Eight innings, two hits, three walks, nine strikeouts, and good on the Phillies bullpen for finally being able to close at a game for their starters. Uh, But man, on the other side of the coin, if you don't produce any runs, you're not going to win baseball games. I know that that sounds simple, but hey, if you're only getting production from two guys in your lineup, you're going to find that you're not having a great time. And now Washington's down to 12-21 and 21 on the season. Of course, we know from last year you don't want to count this team out. But now they're five back of that second spot in the NL East. They would have to jump three teams to make the playoffs. And, yeah, it's they're, they're running out of time. But we'll see. We saw another team in the NLB turn around a tough stretch as Minnesota grabs a win after what had been their by far roughest patch of the season. They get... Pineda back after he tested positive last year for something. He finally comes back and throws a really good game against a hot White Sox team. White Sox go up early 2-0 in the top of the first, and you think, okay, we've seen this before. The bats are just locked in tonight. But then, that's it. This game finishes 3-2 for Minnesota. White Sox don't get a run across in the game's final eight innings. And Pineda's line, six innings... Two runs, six hits, four strikeouts. He keeps the White Sox in the yard with no home runs allowed. Three of those six hits came in the first inning where the White Sox rallied for two. But then over the next five innings, he escaped a bases low the jam, only allowed three hits across that span. And you throw in Byron Buxton robbing a home run from Edwin Encarnacion to give Pineda a little bit of help. And a pretty complete performance from Pineda and the Twins. Yeah, and Pineda definitely gave his team a chance to win this one with six strong innings of two-run ball. And on the other side, the Minnesota Twins had to wait until Dallas Keuchel was out of the game to put up those three runs because Keuchel goes five innings. Yes, he allows seven hits, but only one run against. It was not earned. He walks two and strikes out four. He's given up only three total runs through his first five innings of production every time he's been on the mound. So he's been a tremendous lift for this White Sox team. And I mentioned they had to wait for him to leave the ball game before the Twins could put something together. Miguel Sano is a guy who you mention in that category of Minnesota Twins bats who has the potential to do big things every night. He batted leadoff yesterday, which I think was pretty interesting. That's the first time he's done that this year. Uh, And he went 0 for 5 with three strikeouts. You're only able to push across three runs against this White Sox team. This isn't the Minnesota offense that we saw earlier in the season. This isn't even the Minnesota offense we saw a couple of weeks ago. But hey, if you can nickel and dime your way to wins, especially with the way the Central has gone this year, and if you're picking up those wins against the team that's atop the division, I think you're going to take those wins anytime you can get them. 
And a tough night for Jimmy Cordero as he continues his little rough stretch in the bullpen, giving up an earned run in each of his last three appearances. Here he pitches the sixth and records a blown save, and then he comes out to start the seventh, gives up a leadoff double, and receives the loss as well. Not a great look from him or the bullpen, but on the Twins' side, the bullpen keeps it clean, they keep the leads, and Matt Whistler gets the save. After his last three appearances were all as an opener, he strung together five and two-thirds scoreless across those three starts, and he gets a chance to save it, and he does. So Minnesota gain a game over the White Sox. The Indians won last night as well, so the White Sox and Indians now tied a game and a half ahead of the Twins. Now, finally, we had a game last night in Yankee Stadium. Trevor Richards, Masahiro Tanaka went head-to-head. Very great performance from Masahiro Tanaka, a guy that you could probably put on an all-MLB underrated team. We know he's the top half of the rotation guy, but I feel like people don't really appreciate how strong he is when he's locked in. Last night, we saw him only give up runs on a single ball in play. He goes six innings, three hits, two earns, but both came on a two-run shot from Kevin Kiermeyer, the only swing of the bat that really hurt Tanaka. Here's the most impressive thing, though. The three hits were scattered on the six, seven, eight, nine hitters, and he was extremely effective in his game planning on the top five spots in the Tampa lineup, and that continued with the bullpen. Throughout the game, those top five spots in the Tampa order combined to go 0 for 19 with no walks and nine strikeouts. This is a very talented lineup, very disciplined lineup. And to see that 0 for 19 and then throw in the facts with a, a, a 0 to 9 walk to strikeout ratio, that is just appalling. It's really, really interesting, the dualities of baseball, right? I mean, in, even in that sentence you mentioned, it's a very potent top five, and yet they go 0 for 19. Hey, congratulations to Masahiro Tanaka for hashing out a game plan that was going to neutralize these bats. And congratulations as well to the New York Yankees bullpen for figuring out how they were going to attack the most potent hitters in this Rays lineup. I mean, 0 for 19, that's really surprising. I mean, usually you expect maybe your two, three, four guys to grab at least two, maybe three hits in a night. But to go 0 for 19, that's just, you're not going to win games like that. The Yankees on the other side do get the production from the top five in their order. All five of their runs, actually, in the 5-3 victory came from those spots in the order. So you can see where this game was contrasted. Game ends 5-3, Tampa only striking with the Kiermaier two-run shot, and later an Adamas solo home run. For the Yankees, DJ LeMahieu was the man. He homered twice for them, brings his average up to 402. Now, that would be the MLB lead, but he is not qualified after missing time on the DL. He's pretty much looking like the last chance for someone to hit 400. Blackman has fallen off hearts. LeMahieu still looks locked in. We'll see, but uh, looking for a guy, it's probably LeMahieu. But this game, really, there was a bigger takeaway, and it leads into one of the reasons that we're predicting this series again tonight. This game, from start to finish, there was a problem with throwing up and in. Now, the Yankees, both coming into this game, had taken offense to the Rays on multiple occasions working up and in, especially knowing that the Rays have quite a few hard-throwing pitchers. So, right away, we see a little bit of a response. And Masahiro Tanaka hits Joey Wendell top of the first. The Rays acknowledge that they believe this was intentional. 
they thought that they were receiving a message. And in the postgame, Mike Rosso said, message received, we didn't see a raised pitcher throw at a Yankees batter, seemingly all game. We go the ninth inning, and this is where things escalate. Aroldis Chapman throws up and into every single batter he faces, but he misses Mike Brasso's head by just a few inches at 100 mile an hour. Both benches warns immediately, and they kind of clear after the final out. Um, Yankees celebrating on the mound as teams do when they win. Rays walking back to their dugout, yelling at the umpires. Yankees kind of move over. They don't get into anything, but there is words exchanged. Post-game, Kevin Cash goes out, says quite a few things here. He says, first off, it's poor judgment, poor coaching, and poor teaching of the game, how the Yankees are running things. He said that the Yankees organization, the umpires, Chapman, they all mishandled the situation. And then he goes on to say that the Rays haven't thrown a single pitch with intent at a Yankee since 2018, referring to an incident with Andrew Kittredge, Austin Romine. But then he goes on, and I'm not sure if this is meant to be perceived as a threat or just how you'd perceive it, but he says that they have, quote, a whole stable of guys who throw 98. Either way, this series wraps up tonight, and it'll be the last time these two teams meet until a potential playoff matchup, so there is a whole lot going into this one. Those comments from Kevin Cash, I think, sort of underline the issues that we have here in this entire situation. It's no secret that the Tampa Bay Rays like to throw up in it. I mean, as a pitcher, that's your right. You're allowed to push guys off of the plate. If you feel like guys are encroaching a little bit, you can use an up and in fastball to set up a low and away breaking ball. That's baseball. That's going to happen. And I don't think you can really complain about guys utilizing the inside part of the plate. There is a problem, however, with throwing at guys' heads or throwing up and in or behind guys. When Cash says that he has a stable of guys who throw 98 miles an hour, Like you said, I don't know if that's a threat. I don't know if that's him saying, hey, you can go out there and have Chapman throw at our guys at 100 because we have guys that'll come right back at you with that kind of speed. If you're going to hit guys, make it in the ribs. And Tanaka wasted no time. He hit Wendell on the second pitch after the first pitch missed him sort of in the calf area. And that was right on the hip. I think if that's the way you're going to do it, that's the way you should do it. It looked like the beef had been squashed from there. But, you know, Chapman comes in and throws... Uh, 101 miles an hour near Brissot's head, that is just not what you want to be seeing. It's just so, so dangerous, and that's how guys get seriously, seriously injured. Like you said, this game coming up is going to be the final time they play each other in the regular season. I'm not sure if we're going to see any fireworks. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to see any suspensions. It's going to be a very interesting game to keep an eye on, though. So we'll start with that game tonight as Jordan Montgomery hosts Charlie Morton in the final game, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Who do you think takes this one? Like I said, last game of the series before this team might potentially meet each other in the playoffs. It was a close game in the last one, and I think it'll be a close game here. I haven't felt overly impressed with either starting pitcher that these guys are throwing out there. It isn't a Glass now versus a Garrett Cole. I think the Rays have been strong as of late, and so long as you don't go 0 for 19 with the top five part of your lineup, I think you're going to come away with a win. Tampa enters 7-2 and against New York on the season. This will be their final matchup. But the Yankees can win the series if they take it, and I think they do. Morton's looked a little shaky, and I believe in these bats. We know they've been hitting well, so I've got New York taking this series at home tonight. 
We also see Toronto playing against Miami, two teams currently sitting in playoff spots, both occupying the second wildcard in their respective leagues. And we've got the veteran Ryu versus the rookie Sixto Sanchez, two very different pitchers, two changeup heavy pitchers. Who do you think comes out on top? I think the biggest difference is that Sixto Sanchez can ramp that fastball up there. His four-seamer sits at 98.6 miles an hour, and he is a hard, hard thrower. But Hyunjin Ryu has really hit his stride with the Blue Jays so far this year, and he has been pretty much as advertised. I think I take the Jays over the Marlins. After the win last night, I think I like the Marlins. I also, as he said, there's lots to like about Sixto Sanchez, so I'll go with him there. And finally, Tristan McKenzie, another electric young arm, is on the mound against the Royals tonight. I've got to go with McKenzie. He's looked good so far, 2-0 in his career. Why not make it 3-0 tonight? I have been impressed with the way that Tristan McKenzie has adjusted to the major leagues so far, but Jacob Junis, through three starts this season, has given up two runs in each of those starts. And if he can go out and do that again for the Royals, who are scrappy, man. They don't give up any wins. I think that the Royals are going to have a chance, and I think they might just edge this one out over the Indians. Well, we'll take a quick look around what happened last night in baseball, and the biggest game, it's hard to miss on the box score. Giants beating the Rockies 23-5 in their own field, and a whole lot of history here that ties a San Fran record with 23 runs also ties a San Fran record with 27 hits now league-wide they become the first team since at least 1901 to have both middle infielders hit six RBIs and also the first team since 1901 at least to have three players at all hit six RBIs Solano Crawford and Dickerson And Dickerson, (laughs) beyond the RBIs, he goes 5-for-6, three home runs, and a pair of doubles, becoming the 15th player in history with five extra base hits in the game. Ties Willie Mays for the most total bases in a game by a Giants player. Not bad company. And just barely missed a fourth home run in his final at-bat with a 414-foot double. Now that ball by flat distance, that's out in every other park, all other 29. You gotta realize the air factors in a little different so it wouldn't have traveled quite as far, but still a 414 foot double when you're looking for a fourth home run, that is just about as close as you're gonna get. And I think the biggest, most impressive number here, he's in his fourth MLB season. You know the sample size is up, He's got pretty established averages throughout his career. That one game raised his career slugging percentage by 15 points by just how offensively dominant he was. Crazy game for San Fran. We saw offense all around the league, though. Besides that game, we saw double digits put up in four other parks. St. Louis winning 16-2 over the Reds. Sonny Gray didn't have it. Detroit mentioned 12-1 over Milwaukee. The Indians poured it on on KC last night, 10-1, and 10-3 Atlanta rolling at Fenway Park, largely because of Marcelo Zuna, who put up three home runs and six RBIs. The Cardinals powered by Brad Miller's seven RBIs with two home runs. And Fran Mil Reyes goes five for five with a home run, just offense everywhere. That 
crazy night at baseball. We hope to follow up with another one tonight. We'll be right back here tomorrow morning to tell you all about it. If we have half of that excitement, we'll have a whole lot to talk about. You can find our show on Twitter at Trip Morning. You can find us on Instagram at Morning Round Trip. And for Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, have a great day, everyone.